All right, hey, good to see all of you. Uh, there's major construction in Irvine today. Irvine, it's not that major, but in Irvine it's major, right? Uh, so I was doing a few U-turns and getting here, but um, good to worship together. And as Pastor uh, Jun mentioned, um, we do have our membership class coming up. And uh, if you've been coming out for a while, we would love for you to really prayerfully think about committing to church. Um, and um, yeah, just I think it is so, uh, so important in um, not just um, checking out a church, but really to come to a church and uh, be a part of it. So we want to um, encourage you um, to sign up. And um, what we do at our membership class is um, we go over the fundamentals of what it is to be a Christian. And, and then we talk about um, some of the distinctives of our church and then we just uh, encourage you to, um, you know, and, and explain what it is that is to be a member of a church. And so uh, we have a few of those things. And uh, yeah, and, and then we'd love for you to be there and um, grow together and um, do life together. So consider that. All right. And uh, think about that as you are coming to church um, this week. Um, you know, we're concluding this series on let us love. And, you know, the fundamental part of loving is um, the, the question to the command to love is really the fundamental of our faith. And um, we, we, we conclude this with a love that we often overlook is the love of a friend. Um, we, we take our love for God or a love for our family or our children or our spouses or whatever it is or even an enemy. We take those things very seriously, but we don't think about loving and being a good friend as something that is spiritual, something that God wants us to do. But it, it is. And so uh, we want to highlight that today, um, this week as I was preparing for this. And I, this is a message I've been preparing for uh, for a while. And uh, it... it it was kind of an interesting timing. I got a Facebook message, and it was an old friend, um, my best friend from elementary school, from fifth grade. And he uh, Facebook messaged me out of the blue, and he said, "Is and, and you know, I didn't know how to use a feature on it, so he had messaged me a little while back. And anyways, I had put, uh, he had put, um, is this the Steve Choi from Castro Valley, right? That's where we, were, we lived at the time. And I just saw that this week, so I responded to him, Andy Barnes. I said, Andy, this is the Steve Choi from <laughs> Castro Valley. And he was my best friend. You know, we had moved to this new city in fifth grade. Um, and obviously, it's a new school. And more than the education system and how good the teachers are, what really matters is, like, do I have a friend, right? And how important is my friend there? Um, and he became my best friend. And... Uh, you know, I was, and I was communicating with him and I was talking to him on um, Facebook and, and on his profile picture was him and this cute little girl on his lap. So I was like, man, you know, um, you have such a cute little daughter, this wonderful, you know, he, and he had changed completely. I mean, he, he doesn't have much hair up here and he has so much hair down on his face. And back then, you know, he had no, you know, we had no hair here and it was only up here and um, he looked so different. I was like, man, I could barely recognize you, but you know, your daughter's so cute. And then he goes, that's not my daughter. That's my granddaughter, right? So that like, I was like, wow, is this the right Andy Barnes? You know, is this my friend? Um, and, uh, you know, we connected. And he was my best friend growing uh, for a couple of years, those special years. 
Right? We hung out together almost every day. Um, we didn't have to set up appointments and uh, the modern day thing of a quote unquote play date. You just go and I would just go in and he would just come over and we would just play in that way. And so uh, he was my friend in this way. And also, um, yeah, I remember going to his house and it was very different. His home was very different than my home. His, his parents always insisted I call them by their first name, which I couldn't do. And, I, and when he'd come over, I insisted, you better not think about calling my parents by their first name. I don't even know their first name. Like, you know, it's very different. I'd go to his house and they insisted that feet were bad and dirty, so keep your shoes on. But in my house, it was feet are good, shoes are bad and dirty, take them off. And so we, but we would have, I remember the summers, that seemed like an eternity. We would just ride bikes and do nothing but do nothing together. And that's really the joy of friendship, isn't it? And that's the value of friendship. There was a study done, and Dr. Henry Cloud talks about this study uh, experiment. It was a, an electric shock experiment. But what they wanted to do is they were getting an electric shock. So they would get volunteers and say, we're going to give you a little bit of electric shock, and they would wire them all up. And so there was this, uh, but they wanted to test their stress levels. And so they would tell them, they would sit by themselves, and they would wire them up, and they say, okay, um, you're going to get a shock in the next, you know, 30 seconds. We're not going to tell you when. Just sit here. And they wire them up, and they're waiting and waiting and waiting. And the person's waiting. But secretly, they were taping their stress level, their heartbeat, and all these things. And, and they realized, man, it was off the chart. They were so stressed because the tension of waiting to get shocked. And then uh, and they get shocked, right? And then they would do it again. And you, you would agree to get shocked three times. And the second time, as soon as they started waiting, they had a stranger come in the room. And a stranger would come in and sit next to them and say, hey, you know, um, I, I, you know, I know this is kind of stressful for you. I'm here for you. But he didn't know the, they wouldn't know the stranger. And sometimes the stranger put a hand on their back or pat him on the back and say, it's okay, I'm here for you. And they, they tested the stress level with the stranger there to help them. And it was the same. It was still very high. The stranger had did nothing for them, right? And this is, they get shocked. And thanks for nothing. Bye, you know? And then... The third time they were going to get shocked, they're wired because this is your last time you're going to get shocked. And as they're starting that off, their best friend would walk in. Right? I mean, for me, I would be afraid if my best friend walked in. I'm like, what are you guys going to do to me? But the best friend would walk in and sit down with them and say, hey, you know, I heard you're doing this. And they told me to come and watch you do this. And, they, and then they realize that the stress level of the person that was wired up would just plummet, would just drop. You see, there's a value of friends. The Bible talks about friendships in the Old Testament and the New. Talks about God as being our friend. Right? Theologians will always point to the triune God, Father, Son, Spirit, as having an eternal fellowship together. That they didn't need us. They had a fellowship there. And so we see this idea of friendship in the Bible and I want to highlight some of the important things about this, you know, that how important friends are. Um, preparing for this, and this was uh, months back, I was preparing for this message, and um, one of the chapters I was going over was from the book from C.S. Lewis, The Four Loves. 
And this was part of a study um, that I was doing at Biola at the Center for Christian Thought, and we were studying this together. Um, and uh, this was one of the readings. And really, as I was going over this chapter on the four loves, and there was a chapter on friend love, the phileia, agape. They have, and he used the four Greek words, eros and storge. He talks about the four different types of Greek words used for love, and he differentiates them. But the one on phileia, which is the friendly love, the brotherly love, the, the friendship, has so many wonderful things. I mean, I could almost come up and just read the chapter to us as a sermon, but this is what he says. He says, friendship is unnecessary, like philosophy, like art, like the universe itself. It has no survival value. Rather, it is one of those things which give value to survival. He also says in the Four Loves that to the ancients, friendship, or philia, seem the happiest and most uh, fully human of all loves, the crown of life, the school of virtue. The modern world, in comparison, ignores this. So uh, there was a study done that recorded friendships from the mid-'80s to uh, the 2000, I think it ended at 2005 for tw two decades, and they said they wanted to see what's um, the trend of friendship. And one of, uh, in this study that was published in the American Sociological Review, was titled Social Isolation in America Changes in Core Discussion Networks Over Two Decades, right? And so um, they went and studied people. And in 2000, and, um, or rather, 85, people who had a good network of friends, they said, were about 33% of people had them. But when we got down to 2005, that number of 33% dropped to almost 10%. You see, I think, I think there's the internet, I think social media, I think all these things keep us, in a weird way, more isolated. And just as C.S. Lewis almost perfect, prophetically said that the modern world ignores this need of love and how important it is. So, uh, we have to love as a friend. Um, you need to be better friends. You need to be intentional as a friend. You need to understand God in Christ is your friend. And so we want to look at what are the um, four parts of a friend. What makes a good friend, right, in this passage and in the Bible. And I, I highlight it in four parts. And uh, uh, first one is uh, uh, a friendship that is reciprocal, right, in nature. It's a, friendship is give and take. That, that's what the difference is in friendship. In, in John 15, 14, Jesus says something very radical here. He takes the concept of, uh, he says, you're my disciples or servants. And then you remember he, in the beginning of John 15, he talks about he's a true vine. You are the branches. Get connected to him. You can't do anything without him. So he's our source of life. Once you're connected to him, he says, you're elevated. Your status is elevated now to a friend. And this is very radical. He says, we're friends with him. And so uh, in this give and take reciprocal uh, relationship, it says this. You're my friends, verse 14, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. So he is taking now a servant-master relationship, and he says, now I call you friend. The, uh, the master, when the master has a relationship with a servant, it's I tell you, and you do it. I speak, and you listen. 
I dictate where this conversation goes, you just follow. Usually that's the case. The friend says, I go back and forth. Um, you give me something of value, I give you something of value. And think of this, this is the, the difference of a, the relationship we have. The, the, one of the, really the nuances that we have to pick up on this idea of friendship is the idea that I give back and they give to me and I give to them, they give to me. It's a give and take relationship. And sometimes we think about this now, you could argue, boy, the love that a mother has for her newborn child is greater than this. And we could argue that. But yet, at that point, it's a one-way love. There's benefits, you know, the love that the, she receives, the love the mother will receive from the child, and the meaning, and a lot of those things. But really, on a tangible level, that child does nothing for the mother. But the friendship love says, I give, you give back. I give, you give back. And what Jesus has radically done for the disciples is, is I take you now from a status of being just servant and now you're going to be my friend. And we have to understand this idea of friendship. And so, um, you know, uh, we think of people in the Bible. Moses, for example, is described in uh, Exodus 33:11 as the friend of God. Abraham also is mentioned in James chapter 2 as a friend of God. So when you think about Abraham or you think about Moses and we think about the lawgiver, you think about the one who was leading and doing these things for God and really just relaying the law, you think about Moses. But as his relationship matured, he says he became God's friend. He understood God. And so in our relationships as well, we have to understand that it is a give and take relationship. We have to improve on this. Um, some of us might just be the ones that receive all the time. You know, people say dog is a man's best friend, right? And I talk about my dog Daisy sometimes. Uh, humor, you know, I got Daisy, a little Yorkie named Daisy. I got her for my daughters. I mean, it was 100% for my daughters. It wasn't for my enjoyment. But for some reason, out of our whole family, in her eyes... And maybe the smell is familiar or what, but she thinks I'm her best friend, right? So she wants to hang out with me. And I can see why people will say, oh, a dog is a man's best friend. She never talks back. She doesn't ask for things. She doesn't tell me what to do. She doesn't ask for a ride. She just sits there, just touch me. You know, like that's about it. Just hang out with me. But that's a, a, give, or a give relationship where that, oh, there's no headaches from there. No. The... The friendship relationship is one that gives and that takes back. And so for some of us, maybe we have received much and we haven't given much. And think of your friends at church. And maybe you've received much. And sometimes it's interesting, and I've encountered this over the years, is people act sometimes very differently in a church setting than they do in any other setting. You know, they'll come to church and they'll show up at people's homes, but they'll never invite them over or they'll eat their pe people's food. They'll never offer to pay. It doesn't happen in a social setting. It doesn't happen at work. But for some reason, with church friends, we feel like, well, it's church friends. It's like, we'll just go over to their house. We'll just keep going over to their house and eat their food. It's okay, you know, because I'm so lovable. I'll just keep going. And it's the idea of if I give, I take, I give, I take. And that is what friendship is. The second part of friendship is there's a sense of transparency slash acceptance. This is what friendship ultimately is, right? They know everything about and they accept. 
They know everything about me and they accept me. Um, he says here, and Jesus says, I divulge all this information to you. I give you all this information. Verse 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, for I have called you friends. For all, for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So the servant doesn't know what's going on. The friend knows what's going on. All I know from the father, I've let you know. And there's a sense of I am letting you know, I am letting you in my circle. Now, friendship requires transparency and acceptance. I, again, C.S. Lewis in that chapter, uh, in The Four Loves, he says, friendship is born at the moment when one man says to another, what? You too, I thought that no one but myself, dot, dot, dot. I mean, isn't this what friendship is? The friend that knows let me, back that, let me back up a little bit. A friend knows all of our flaws, all of our quirks, uh, all of our weaknesses, all the things we're bad at, and they accept us. Isn't that what a friend is? They know everything about you, and they still accept you. And they can even laugh at you, but long as they accept you, it's acceptable, right? And so friends, we have the best time. We make fun of each other because we have known the flaws and we accept them. Now, if a stranger says, I know all your flaws, and I laugh at you because you stutter, you cannot sing, you know, you always do this, you know, and I laugh at you, but I don't accept you, I, then we're hurt. But when the person says, I know everything about you and all your flaws and mistakes and pains and weaknesses, but I accept you. We say, wow, that is the true definition of a friend. Um, you know, this, the story of Abigail Adams and John Adams, um, uh, one of, the thing that they were famous for, and some of you know this, was the, the letter writing. And Abigail Adams was very prominent in our, in our country's history, but um, the letters that they wrote to each other were preserved. And one of the things about the letters, uh, um, their favorite term of endearment towards each other, and there would be years where they would be, uh, one would be in Europe and Paris and the other would be back here in the States as they were trying to get the country settled and they go back and forth and they would write these letters. But the favorite term of endearment that uh, they would use for each other as a husband and wife was friend. And so one excerpt from Abigail Adams while she was in Paris wrote, My thoughts are fixed. My latest wish depends on thee. You're my guide, guardian, husband, lover, friend. You're my friend. And so this is very, very important for them. Um, Albert Camus, the French philosopher, has this quote, Don't walk behind me. I may not lead, don't walk in front of me, I may not follow, just walk beside me and be my friend. Friendship, thirdly, has a sense of constancy. Uh, a friend is always there. The Proverbs uh, in 1717 says this, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. And uh, some of us have uh, known this and read this. And so when you read this, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Some, and there's a lot of uh, different interpretations of this. Some have said, you see, the brother 
is born and they give you a hard time. They're there for adversity. They, they provide adversity in your life. And some of you uh, grew up with certain types of brothers and you might say, oh yeah, I agree, man. My brother, all he did was take my food and beat me up or whatever it was. But really a, another interpretation of this is a friend is always there. But family or your brother shows up in real adversity. So, and isn't this, I think this is more accurate. The funerals and the hospital visits and the heartaches is when families get together. I don't see them weekly. I don't see them regularly. I don't even necessarily might want to hang out. But the family shows up during times of adversity. But in relation to that, a friend loves at all times. So they're there during the adversity, during the parties, during the good times and the bad times. A friend is always there. They are there regularly. And I think this is very special because we don't pick our families. None of us were able to choose our mothers or fathers. None of us ever chose I wanted a brother or sister or two. You know, like I always wanted an older sister because all my friends with older sisters, they're, and some of you are older sisters and you do this, or even younger sisters. They just buy their siblings stuff for no reason. And I was like, your sister buys you stuff? Like, I have two brothers. All we did was take things from each other. We, would, we fought over food during dinner at home, you know, in high school. Um, and, uh, but, you know, sisters would buy you stuff. They want to watch your kids for you for free. You know, like, you have a kid, you want to keep them away from the uncles. You know, it was always, you hear bad stories about uncles. So get away, you know. But, man, sisters are so good. Yeah, but you can't pick them. But friends, by definition, you have to pick them. And you don't just say, you're my friend, but that has to be now the same feeling they have towards you. And so there is this specialty that we are there for each other. You are there for all times. And lastly, true Christian friends are there to help each other grow, um, to lead you towards holiness. And I don't know if we've ever had a word association with friends slash holiness. I don't know if we've ever gone there. But really, that's the purpose of this. Um, Proverbs 27, 9, for example, says, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Oil and perfume, the, the fragrance of it in my senses, as I take it in, it makes me glad on the inside. Just as oil and perfume has that effect on me on the inside, the counsel of a friend, as I take that in, the writer of Proverbs saying, it now brings me gladness. It's the sweetness. It's like smelling pure, uh, a good perfume in this way. So we ought to be the ones, as a friend, to give positive counsel, to take it in. Paul Tripp in his book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hand, says, we were all designed to be counsel givers and counsel receivers. So as a good friend, we ought to be the ones to say, hey, you know, I need to talk to you about this. I'm not saying be a prophet and just be in their face all the time, but you know, sometimes as a friend, you need to go and say, hey man, you know, I haven't seen you at church, what's going on? We should see you here. You know, hey, you know, you, you're working way too much, you need to spend more time with your family. Um, hey, you know, you, know you, are, you are, you know, drinking way too much nowadays. What's going on? Can you have fun doing something else? Or, you know, we as a friend have to have those kind of talks. 
And we have to be mature enough to not take it. And how all of us need this kind of counseling. Now we look at Jesus Christ as the ultimate friend. The one who takes us in and says, I will be your friend. I have elevated you. He is always there for us. He gives us counsel to grow. He knows everything about us. Everything in our hearts. Before the words are even spoken, he knows. And he says, I accept you. And we can have a relationship with him. I want to encourage us as the people of God to be that kind of friend to Christ, to appreciate that I was once his enemy, now I'm a friend. And secondly, I want us to be this kind of friend to the people God has placed in our lives. Be the best friend possible. If they need you, be there. If they want to share with you, hear them out and be there. And if, you, if they don't know God, you be the one to say, hey, let me invite you, come on out. Come on to church, hey, here's a book. What do you think about this? Let me pray for you. Be that kind of friend. Let's not just be a casual friend, but let's be this friend. Just as the Bible says, and I close with this word, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Let's love in this way, and let's be this kind of friend. Let's pray. God, would you help us to love in the way that you love us? We are called to be your friends. So Lord, would you teach us that? We thank you that you call us friends. God, we are humbled by that thought. So Lord, we want to be that kind of friend to you. We want a relationship. We want to walk with you regularly. And we want to be that kind of friend to those in our lives as well. We thank you. We thank you for the friends that we have in our lives. We thank you for the friends that we have here at church. And God, help us to bless them in our friendship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a